welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by our friends at Rapsodo. Rapsodo, the industry leader in baseball player development technology, has a special offer on their hitting and pitching 2.0 units. Go to rapsodo.com backslash rapsodo hyphen savings and get up to $1,000 off. Trusted by the best in baseball, Rapsodo is used by all 30 MLB teams, 100% of Division I champions since 2010, and 100% of the top 100 prospects in this year's MLB draft. Scott Brown, Vanderbilt's pitching coach and associate head coach, had this to say about Rapsodo. Everyone involved in teaching pitchers this day and age could benefit from owning Rapsodo and using it for immediate feedback to educate their pitchers. Again, save up to $1,000 when you decide to train and build champions with Rapsodo. Visit rapsodo.com backslash savings and take advantage of this great offer. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. The third foundation for optimal living is exercise and movement. Today we check in with Texas Rangers assistant strength and conditioning coach Al Sandoval. Coach Sandoval has over 15 years of experience working at the professional level with the Rangers, Angels, and Rockies. Coach Sandoval got his start in strength and conditioning working with the CSU Pueblo baseball program. He's a certified and registered NSCA strength and conditioning coach. He's also been an integral part of the Professional Baseball Strength and Conditioning Coaches Society. You can dive into resources on their website at baseballstrength.org. I love his philosophy of strength and conditioning in professional baseball is to help athletes develop as much strength as possible, then teach them to use that strength to put force into the ground in a quick, timely manner. Let's welcome Al Sandoval to the podcast. Different than coaching now because... This is like a really busy time for us with the convention. So, you know, coaching, you're kind of getting a chance to, to catch your breath a little bit. And our, ours is the exact opposite. So yes. I'll do uh, I'll do a couple speaking engagements after our convention. But then after that, I'll I'll relax for a little bit other than going to watch yeah. games once once spring ball rolls around. Well, where are you located? Our okay. offices are in Greensboro, North Carolina. OK, that's right. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, thanks for having me. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah. Heck it. yeah. Yep. So it's, um, you know, it's always a good time of year for us. 
because that January, those January slots have been really good, and it just kind of gets people ready for their seasons. But um, you know, they've they've always been really beneficial. Absolutely, absolutely. Cool. When it, your guys' convention's coming up too, isn't it? Uh, which one? The NSCA. NSA is coming up soon. We kind of finish a lot of ours with winter meetings. Um, yep. The past few years, we've, we've had quite a bit of good things going on. We travel so much. Once I get winter meetings, my I'm lucky to be able to go with that with my wife. So but you're always gone. So no, I, but I do want to try to go to the ABCA next year. One of my really good buddies is heading out there. Two of them are actually heading out to the ABCA this year. So Yeah, yeah. so that'd be good. Yeah, I'd love to have you jump on the the hot stove panel with us if you're going to be there yeah uh where's it at it's in dallas next year yeah i would love to do that yeah, i'll be so there 2024 20, is dallas yeah. and then that way i can just plan on you jumping on the the hot stove panel with uh, us and anything you need let me know again okay. i would love to have you guys out if you want to tour the facility and kind of check things out here by all means we'll be here yeah and so. we started that last year you know we have so many high school coaches that have to do both or even you know youth coaches that are having to do a lot on their own so we just felt like it would be beneficial to add a, a hot stove panel in for strength absolutely. and conditioning just because we have so many coaches that have to do both absolutely yeah just all small oh. stuff too well, again, this platform's great. We actually brought up the ABCA app at the, our PBS UCS meetings because we get so in tune with just thinking about sharing information amongst ourselves to where sometimes we miss the edge of being simple and help the dad who coaches his kids. You get what I mean? In small town Texas, help the dad who's doing stuff on YouTube. Um, and sometimes we forget to think that way because we try to think so complex and yeah. it's really not that complex. So, yeah. And for us, cause we do, you know, we have big league coaches that are members on down to moms and dads that are doing it for the first time. So we're, we're a good yep. resource in that way. Cause we do, we have to think about everybody. It, it, no, and it's perfect. But, but again, we, we're always trying to keep up with what our players know, because again, there's so many gurus now and it's not a bad thing, but there's just so many people who, are knowledgeable in the thing we're on that end to where again it's we simplify everything for our guys and it's kind of like we need to start simplifying things for the masses as well yep. um and so it's it, I, I love what you guys do and again the platform you have from little league all the way up through you know the professional level is yep. pretty unique here with Al Sandoval, uh, MLB assistant strength coach uh, for the Rangers, uh, but been in pro ball since 08 and uh, started with the Rockies, but uh, graduated from CSU Pueblo. So Al, thanks for jumping on with me. Thank you so much for having me. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. You know, how is the Texas organization, how are you guys relaying from, from your information on the strength and conditioning side to then the players and the coaches on the baseball side? So for us, we use, we have numerous AMS systems. Like we store all of our player data, testing profiles and stuff in a smarter base that was created internally that has um, our coaches front office and people that have access to certain things just so we can keep track of our guys. When we're relaying lifts to our players, like off season, now that we don't have them, we rely on the team builder app. Um, we program all the lifts. Um, we help, uh, we use a force dex force plate uh, to create movement signatures from our movement signatures. We'll design um, lifts based upon what the player needs as opposed to what they traditionally want. 
Uh, and then we send that out to the players so they can train throughout the off season. So when they come back to us after the off season, it's, you know, running smooth in spring training. How much has that even changed in the last 10 years? From when I started to where I'm at right now, though, the position I am in has the same title and it's not even close to the same. Technology's advanced us and again, good for our profession and for our field. It's just exponentially different. When I started, it's just, hey, go stretch the guys, kind of get out of the way, go feed the machine, catch in at first base, whatever, to where finally, um, we, you know, people have realized the value in health and staying healthy and taking care of your bodies, taking care of your minds and um, kind of put us at the forefront because again, time is money. Um, the best, best way to become a good player is be available. And again, training helps you to be available if you do it correctly. I mean, for somebody that might be interested in getting into it right now and knowing where the technology is going, you know, how do you balance that as someone new to the profession where you know that maybe in five, 10 years from now, it might be different than, than what I'm doing right now? You, you know, we kind of talked about it a little bit before we started recording. For my, anybody who wants to get into the strength and conditioning field is keep it simple, learn the basic and know the whys. This technology just like, I mean, 10 years ago when you had a iPad player, nobody thought it was going to turn into an iPhone. Now it's an iPhone. Now it's an iPad. Now it's a MacBook. So again, technology is always going to be moving forward. But at the end of the day, you have to know the basics of physiology, the understanding of the body. And then again, you should be using this technology to validate what you see or what you know. Um, and again, putting the pieces of the puzzle together. So finding a good collegiate program that has a good exercise physiology program department. And again, now they're teaching this technology in the schools and colleges and in the systems, which is awesome because I didn't have that. We had to learn force plates on our own. You know, we had to use VBT machines on our own. Um, so again, now that's going to be introduced to them, but the technology is fantastic and it's great. Again, it's objective, not subjective data, but you can go down so many rabbit holes if you're not educated in the basics. Yo. Is it better though, when you first started with like force plates and all of that, is it almost better to learn by trial and error or, or having somebody walk you through that stuff? I think it's both. I've been very, very, very fortunate to where when I was with Colorado, I left and they started using this technology. I mean, close to 10, 12 years ago. So I'm the type to where I like to learn and I like to learn not only through my own knowledge, but then I like to learn from other people's mistakes. Because again, when we try new things, um, stuff's going to happen that just, we have to work through. So me learning the stuff up front on my own, I personally like doing that. So when I have questions, then I go to the people who have knowledge and experience in that field and it helps me clarify. And then yes, my last step is trial and error. I always try it on myself first. And then again, I integrate it with the players next, but I always like to do those first two things first. I like to do my research on it by myself first then talk to people who have used it second then I do the trial and error third, as opposed to putting it all together and getting lost. Is there a lot of difference between the way the Rangers are running things than with the Rockies or the Angels? Are, are all organizations different, similar? <laughs> similar and different in the same capacities. Again, all of us are now utilizing technology to validate what we see. And again, using it, everything in our field is very subjective. Um, again, one RM testings, um, when it comes to lifting pro movement screens, 
Um, if you're not using a goniometer, all that stuff's very subjective based upon what you see or whether or not this technology gives us objective data. So I do think organizations are using the objective data, how they choose to use it to now prescribe, you know, exercise protocols for players. So we're all doing that, but we all do it in a different capacity. Um, again, some of us are more similar than others, but now everybody, for the most part in Major League Baseball, is integrating technology um, to help create plans for our players to keep them healthy. Hey, when you got to Pueblo, did you know this is what you were going to get into? I did not. I was going to be an athletic trainer, actually. I, I wanted to go into medical because I wanted to stay in sports. My whole thing was I played baseball, but I always knew I was kind of an overachiever and I probably should. I was kind of like the Rudy type. I didn't I didn't make the team because I was that good. I made it because I was a character guy. Coaches wanted me around, whatever. So I always wanted to use my education to allow me to stay in baseball. And so, again, I was originally planning to be a trainer. And then when I found out I had to do two extra years of college because I couldn't fulfill all my need playing baseball, I was like, well, this exercise science thing's going. And fortunately for me, I picked a field that was at the bare bottom and has only grown since I've jumped into it. So that's kind of how I transitioned. But initially, I was going to be a trainer slash PT, and then it evolved into this right now. You know, at the minor league, minor league and major league level, you have such a wide range of ages. I mean, how are you guys planning for that piece where even for you guys, you might have a young rookie, and then you may have a 40-year-old veteran on the same staff. So we have a tremendous strength staff. So, again, Jose Vasquez is our head guy up here. I'm the assistant, and then we have a whole um, – uh, strength and conditioning department. Napoleon Pichardo heads that, Logan Franson on a minor league level. So again, the way we think about it is again, not only do you got to think of age-wise, you got to think of socioeconomic classes. We have 16-year-olds in the Dominican Republic who are malnutritioned. Um, the school factor, they haven't been there. They have no training age. They've never been at a gym. To collegiate kids coming out of college, high school kids coming out of high school, all the way in between to where, you know, again, the Corey Seegers, Marcus Simeons of the world. So the way we treat it is our minor, our minor league staff does a tremendous job with, with our kids in the Dominican. We train our 16-year-olds in the Dominican kind of as we would middle school kids, teaching them how to just move, proper movement patterns, body weight stuff. And the goal for those kids is by the time they get to the States, they know how to properly do a squat, a hinge, a lunge, a push, and a pull. So now we can physically develop them when they're 18. We teach them how to eat. We can load them safely when they come to us. And it's the same thing with like our college kids that get drafted, high school kids that get drafted. We kind of treat them like freshmen in college. Yeah, you've had experience. You've had success. You know how to do things. However, this is a completely different animal. You're not playing three days a week. You're going every day. You're going to practice every day. You're going to pitch every fifth day, not every seventh day. So we kind of treat them like freshmen. And then as they move up the ranks, double A, it's kind of like more of your sophomore, junior, triple A. And our experienced double A players are more like your college seniors. You know, they have they know what their body needs. They've experienced the seasons. They kind of have that. And then again, here at the big league level, our biggest thing is if our minor league development staff does what we want them to do in the minor leagues, when they get to us, it's just plug and chuck. Hey, buddy, you're here for a reason. We're going to continue with the program we've been doing, and we're going to roll with it. Um, so kind of that's how it works. I'll say for the majority of pro ball. And, again, our our minor league guys are tremendous. They're the grinders. They're the boots on the ground. I mean, those guys 
are effortless and they're intricate to what we do up here because it's just like a kid. You learn your best behavioral patterns when you're young. And so it's so important that those guys at those lower levels teach the guys how to train, when to train and what to do. And then by the time they get up here, it's easy. You know, for those 16-year-old Latin kids that are, you know, the food scarcity piece is real, how are you helping them maybe learn how to take care of their nutrition for the first time because they actually have options now? So we have an academy out in the Dominican, and it, we're fortunate. It's an awesome academy, and all teams do. Um, so we feed those guys. When they're with us, they get every meal with us. And then, again, we have a lot of educational pieces. Not only are we teaching them English and teaching them a high school education, um, they're learning how to eat, what to eat, and why to eat it. So again, all that goes into they literally live at the complex. So outside of baseball, they're in classroom sessions kind of learning all that stuff. And it's the same thing even with our young guys in Arizona, um, our rookies out in Arizona. All that educational piece goes along with it, again, from their skill side of things to the nutrition, to the training, even to our athletic trainers. We have meetings with them once a week. We're not only going to tell you what to do, we're going to explain why we're asking you to do it. So they learn that young. So again, as they come up, it's not just dictated to them. They have an understanding of the whys behind it. I've always thought about the Rangers organization as just being extremely physical. You know, my, my memories of growing up and the Rangers, it just seems like it, uh, as a whole, the organization has had physical, physical athletes. That's, that's one of the blessings that we have is uh, in player development and our, our, our scouting department. We look for physical guys. They trust us from a physical development standpoint to go get a wider frame, maybe a wiry body, but we know that they're going to grow into the frame. And then again, they allow us in the medical side to kind of put forth a planned approach to develop these guys. But when I was on the other side, I spent five years with Colorado and five years in Anaheim. Yeah. I mean, I, looked at those guys when we were in double a and i'm like man that's an all airport team you you know you you if you're in an airport you're like who are those guys because there's yeah. someone and so it's kind of nice to be on this side and yeah i mean but it's come from the top jose's been here over 15 years our head guy and nappy and him have been running this thing together for close to 13 years and they brought in people to where we do believe in being physical we do believe in lifting heavy um, we do believe in doing it smart, but we don't get away from it really throughout the entire season. Um, again, you have to have a planned approach and you have to be smart about it. But to throw hard and to hit balls far, you have to have some type of a strength capacity. You can't do it without being strong. Um, and again, to be durable, I'm not there's not many guys that are frail that stay durable. I mean, it's just you, you look behind it. So again, our thought process is, again, we do things smart, but we're not scared to get after it. And our front office does a great job of supporting us of, no, we're going to get after it because we want homers and we want guys to throw a hundred. Yeah. So, you know, kind of, we're very fortunate to where we're all in the same thought process. What are some things that maybe you thought were good in theory early on in your career and, and maybe not good in practice? You, you learn a lot when you, again, when you're growing up and I was fortunate to have Brian Jordan in Colorado to let us try a lot of things and trial by error. Again, I think going down a lot of rabbit holes. Um, when I first started uh, close to 15 years ago, it was the new thing was uh, sports specific training, functional training. That was the new buzzword, new catchphrase. So everything you had to be doing should be replicating a throw, should be replicating a swing 
swing. Med balls were huge then. Like med ball, throw this, med ball, throw that, which actually led to an immense amount of obliques, overtraining, things like that. Um, so I guess early on, um, like I was talking earlier, sticking to the basics. Sometimes, again, you want to be new. You want to be cutting edge. Like, oh, like I can do something really different. Um, I, I don't regret it because I learned from it. But again, learn who you are as a strength coach. Understand your principles and the whys of what you're doing things for your athletes and kind of stick to those. You can go outside and find different ways to integrate that into your process. But you kind of yourself, you need to have some values of what you believe in. Um, and again, have some knowledge behind it. Why does it work? Um, what's the science behind it? And to stay out of those rabbit holes, because again, today it's only gotten worse with Twitter, with Instagram, with Facebook. I mean, everybody knows the cure. And um, again, there's a lot of good stuff out there, but there's a lot of things that you need to be able to filter and pull the good from it and siphon the bad out from it. So again, I, those were my mistakes early on was kind of, oh, this guy knows it. Let's go all in on this. No, don't go all in on anything. Know yourself. And again, pull things from here and there and add them to your process and then stick to your guns. I mean, what does the baseball side need to hear from the strength and conditioning side? Is that it? That, you know, keeping it simple from a programming standpoint is going to be the best? Yeah. For for me, this, this um, collaborative approach has been tremendous. Because again, we finally got to see it at the table. And it's so important to have. However, with a collaborative piece, sometimes it takes away the skill aspect of skill coaches think we can fix everything in the weight room. Well, our job isn't to teach guys how to throw strikes or to hit a 98 mile per hour slider. Unfortunately, that's you get what I mean. We can create movement patterns and help um, prime the system before they go do their skill. Um, however, we're not responsible for the skill. I look at us not as a strength and conditioning coach, but as a physical preparation coach. My job is to make sure that these guys are physically prepared every day to be able to one, play in the game and two, be able to practice the skills that they need to, to get better. Again, along the way, we can help again, maybe have a guy feel something that they can't feel during their swing or their mechanics. However, we're not responsible for them creating that in the weight room. So again, we want to create a, an undulated model throughout the course of our in-season training to allow these guys to keep strength and power. We don't want any decline, the whole misconception of its maintenance during the season. If you're maintaining, you're losing. We play three quarters of a year. So if you're doing maintenance for three quarters of the year, guys are going to physically break down. And again, that's why I say you have to have a smart model, um, know what players are going through and when they're going through it. And again, when baseball activity ramps up, our physical stuff doesn't go away, but we might take some things away. Um, and again, just knowing the process and the way ebbs and flows of the year and where where to really pick when we want to get what we want out of it. What data are you using then in season to know that, okay, they're, they're where they need to be from a power and speed output? There's so many metrics that we use. Not so many metrics. We have them broken down, but again, there's some peak power numbers on our force plate. And again, our movement signature that we take into play to where we can kind of, not, I don't want to say red flag guys, but it allows us to have conversation. Um, if we see guys numbers dipping or their movement signature kind of change, it allows, it creates an opportunity of, again, these are human beings. They have kids, they have spouses, girlfriends, fiancés, parents, cousins. You know, sometimes guys don't sleep because they have a newborn. 
sometimes they're broke up with their girlfriend and you know now they're not sleeping maybe doing some things that they shouldn't at night and again we can tell these things through our force plate data that's kind of the biggest thing that we use and then we scan guys every two weeks um it's just it's part of our lift if we don't make anything special we don't make a fuss out of them but that's that's the data that we use from our force plate a few of the metrics from there that allow us to have conversations with guys and not only do they allow us to have conversations with guys on if they're falling off but on the positive side like i said we kind of use the force plate as going and visiting the doctor and then after the visit that allows us to prescribe the medicine and so like we can tell guys hey look man this is what we were working on and look bro you're getting better look at where you were at two weeks ago three weeks ago six months ago we've gotten better um so it's good feedback for those players um for them you know, to see not only when they're going backwards, but when they're going forward and making strides and what we like them to do. So how long does it take you to educate them on sleep? Cause sleep is probably one of the most important things that they can do from themselves from a recovery standpoint. Uh, it takes a while, but it, it, we, we hammer that again during spring training, we have meetings on it in our weight room. We're fortunate. We were blessed with a beautiful weight room. One of our screens has nothing but recovery tactics with slides and it tells the differences of what you need. And we are always bombarding them with that. Again, nowadays we have NSF certified sleep products that help these guys to get to bed. And like players nowadays at the elite level are very knowledgeable in these things, um, especially the successful ones. And so, it's more or less just guiding them the proper ways of how to do it because they've heard it by now already. What products are they using? Uh, like Clean Athlete has a melatonin spray. Um, there's a Psalms drink, uh, like a melatonin Psalms drink. Uh, there's a sleeping giant from Cytosport. Again, more like more or less melatonin products that helps the body kind of settle down. Spray again, go in their mouth? It, yeah, it Sp just goes under your sprays tongue. Sprays in... Yeah. Yeah, simple things like that. The the Psalms is it looks like a Red Bull can, um, so they can drink it right before they go tonight. But again, our biggest things with our guys is we never want them to rely on a on a substance to be able to sleep. It's getting to the underlying factors of why can't you sleep. Let's let's create an environment of okay, if you're stressed, why are you stressed? And again, that leads into another one of our pillars is our mental our mental skills department. You know, we have people to help guys with that because it doesn't matter what we do physically with guys. I mean, if their heart's not good and their mind's not good, you get things are going to go awry. Shout um, out to Hannah so, Huseman. Yeah. Yes. Yes. She's, exactly. She's speaking so at the convention that, this year. Yes. So that's one of the biggest things that like, again, it's a, between us, our medical staff, our nutritionist um, and the mental skills side, we kind of all work together to preach the same things and establish sustainable routines for these guys that they can do on their own. What were some things you thought of as a player that, that maybe you don't think now as a strength and conditioning coach? Uh, as in what perspective? Anything, any, you know, never, as an 18, 19 year old, what are some things that maybe you thought that, that you don't believe now? Oh man, there's so many things that I don't believe as an 18, 19 year old that I do now. I would, again, I always try to educate myself even from a young age before I ask questions. But again, I guess from an eight, if from an 18, 19, even a 20 some year old perspective, it's always the whole, 
just respect experience. If you surround yourself by the proper people, everybody's going to have your best interests in mind. Nobody wants to tell you what to do. Nobody wants to dictate your career. It's your career at the end of the day, no matter what level you're at. However, learn from other people's mistakes and learn like I've learned from others mistakes. So if I'm going to explain myself to somebody else, it might not even be a mistake I made. It might be something that I saw along the way. So it's just under understand and surround yourself by positive people who, you know, have your best interests in mind and trust their judgment. You can question it, but as long as they have good explanations for the reasons behind it, just trust it and go with it. Can you build competitive? Can you build competitiveness in the weight room? Uh, I believe you can. I do believe you can because I believe when you get more physical, you gain more self-confidence, which when you gain self-confidence, it builds competitiveness. When I was in high school, I was six foot, 120 pounds, and I didn't believe in myself the way I did once I started to get more physical. So competitiveness, I believe, just comes from belief in yourself. And I believe just in the health and fitness world in general um, moving, working out, doing exercise, whether you're an athlete, whether you're trying to lose weight, just creates more self-worth and with more self-worth comes more competitiveness. Yeah. Is there a team component for you guys in the weight room? I know, you know, pro ball is so individual, you know, it's their career, but do you guys have team component stuff in the weight room? We do, not to the college aspect, but the awesome part is when we do have it, it's player driven. And the good teams that you're around, your veteran guys, which we have here, which they're doing right now, we have 15 guys coming in in the off season. And I'm not going to name his name because he would not like me to, but he pushes these guys. And it's awesome seeing this guy live here create an environment for these guys to come in and yell at them and get excited. You know, come on, look at, I see you working. I see you working. But again, it's at the collegiate level, the strength and conditioning coach drives that rides that that's his responsibility, his job at our level, our jobs to create the environment where if it happens because we have leadership and it happens. And again, that environment has been created here and it's pretty special right now. Any exercises that are off the table for you? I know, you know, there it's been the whole, you know, should pitchers bench, you know, that there's always these theories or, you know, wives tales out there about what people should and shouldn't do. Is there anything off the table for you guys? I, the obvious should not do is obviously for me are the Instagram unstable squatting with one leg on a BOSU ball with the bench over my head and one arm and a kettlebell hanging from my teeth and all that stuff. I mean, it's common sense. I'm a big believer and there's no such thing as a bad exercise. It's all in how it's cued and the person that's doing it. Again, if we have a pitcher who's never had injuries, who's never had a shoulder injury, who likes to bench press, we've had them. We monitor it and we control it. It's not a bad lift. It's just how is it being performed? How is it being executed? And again, what's the periodization process with it? Um, it all depends on the athlete. Again, if we have a guy who has low back issues, we're going to stay away from deadlifting them. doesn't mean the deadlift's non-negotiable for the guy next to him who's never had back issues. Um, so, no, I don't believe there's such thing as a bad um, meat and potato exercise. Squat, hinge, lunge, push, pull. No, I think they're all good as long as they're coached properly. How many again, are... The wise, 
overhead stuff I think is good. We do pull-ups. Again, you throw overhead. We do a lot of things overhead, but again, how is it being programmed? And know the history of your athletes that are doing them first and make sure you progress your guys who can't do it. It's okay if you can't do a pull-up right now. Let's start with a lat pull-down. Let's go to an eccentric drop. Let's go for, to a jumping pull-up first. We'll work you up to there. Um, so again, it's how, how do we um, progress the lifts for them? You know, this is another one that, that gets it to long distance running for pitchers. I mean, do you have some veteran guys that like to go out and, and run longer distances? We do. And again, um, I'm not a proponent for it. However, I ed we educate our guys of, hey, man, we get it. Because a lot of it's a mental thing for guys. No. We can do it, but hey, let's do it maybe in between these starts. And this is why. You get what I mean? You're telling me you have low knee pain and low back pain, but you want to go run eight miles. Like, it just doesn't make sense, you know? And I'm not saying you can't do it, but let's just do it maybe in between every third start or something like that. Um, so the education process is being able to step in and saying, understand why you're doing it, understand the science behind it really isn't proven. But if you still want to do it, we'll allow you to. But let's modify just a little, especially if you're having aches and pains from it. Yeah. How do you modify that then? Because, you know, this happens all the time. You get you get nicked up, you get banged up. How would you modify that from, OK, this is maybe what they do, but now we're going to peel this back a little bit and lighten the load on them? Well, unfortunately, injury is the best time for guys to learn. And again, even if they're not hurt, even if they're banged up, yeah. you know, it's like, hey, look, man. But this is the thing, too, is and this is the thing that sometimes people forget is even outside of being banged sometimes guys are banged up because they're throwing so well you might have a starter who's had five quality starts in a row you know he's thrown five innings seven innings eight innings six innings seven innings who's just banged up from his workload to where we step in and we intervene in those two because sometimes guys want to work harder because they want to keep it going no i got to keep going got to keep going and it's like hey look man let's take a step back because you're used to throwing 95 to 105 pitches you threw 125 to 130 pitches the past few games and that's what we always tell our guys the more we do in between the lines the less we have to do here it's going to balance itself out in the end it'll work itself out but we can't always be pushing you know that we have to push and pull and so that's kind of the conversation that we have again a guy who's used to doing distance runs we might tell him hey do 20 minutes between this start, do 15, the next start, and then let's do the elliptical, the start after that. You could get cardio on the elliptical, have no impact, um, you know, save your joints and things like that. When are your relievers and your position players getting their lifts in? We do everything pregame. Everything's uh, pregame. You have everything. anybody that goes after, that goes post? We do, we do not. And, again, that's a Ranger thing. Yep. Um, I know there are, there are a lot of teams who like um, like to do it postgame which again, it's all personal preference. Our thought process and our belief is we ask our guys to do two full body lifts a week. How they do them, it doesn't matter. If they do upper, lower splits, it's fine. If they do two full bodies a week. So we're literally asking for 50 minutes of their time a week. And we want them to prioritize their physical preparation just as much as they do their bullpens, as much as they do their um, swings in the cages, their early hitting. They're not gonna throw a bullpen after the game. They're not going to go take a hundred swings after the game. So this is part of the piece. This is part of the process. We want them to bring that same, um, those, those same physical capabilities when they walk in the build, building that they do to that, that activity. Cause after a game, these guys are gassed, they're dehydrated, they're hungry, depending on how the game went, 
Um, you know, it, it, there's just so many variables that go on. Um, we want them to be able to knock it out, get it done. And again, we don't ask for a lot of their time. Do you think the active recovery piece is, has changed quite a bit too? It seems like people are staying more active throughout the 12 month calendar rather than in the past where they would just shut it completely shut it down for a while. Oh yeah. No, it's night and day different. I mean, again, um, Oh, we're, we're 12 months out of the year. I mean, the strength and conditioning department. Um, and again, our, our skill guys work their tails off during the course of the year, just like everybody else. But uh, to guys, to be honest with you, they take off from their skill stuff more than they do from their physical work, which is good um, because they need the body to repair from especially baseball. It's all unnatural activity that you're not supposed to be doing. And they do it so often they need to take a break from it. So like our guys will take about close to a month to two months off of throwing and hitting. And then they, they kick it back up. I mean, December, January, January is like, we're going to be full go next month. Um, but the physical piece guys literally only take about two to three weeks off. And we tell them, go take off, go decompress, go be a human, go enjoy your wife, your kids, your families. Cause we got to get after it. Um, and then we do get after it for, I mean, starting end of October. What are you you basing their numbers off of? So, you, you know, you're basically starting the whole thing over. So October, what are you basing their numbers off from a programming standpoint when you get them back going in October? October, we really don't base off of like one RMs, maxes. We kind of do this linear periodization model. We do a lot of GPP stuff um, in our end of October, our first few weeks. And then once we get our GPP stuff for a few weeks, then we kind of start slowly working back into our strength work. And we do a good month and a half of strength. And then now, like, we're, our next three weeks, we're going to go strength and power. And then we'll go straight power right leading up right into spring training. And then once they get to spring training, um, we taper down. And we do kind of one strength lift a week, one power lift a week. And they're very fast because spring training, these guys, their workload goes up significantly. Um, a lot of these guys are trying to earn a job, gain a job. Some of the guys have, like the guys that we know have a job, we kind of start them on an in-season model, but there's more guys who don't have a job to where we monitor them very closely because we know they're doing extra ground balls, um, might be throwing more bullpens, might be swinging extra um, so we kind of really, again, we tell them first and foremost, I mean, their skill is most important um, and we'll make the adjustment during spring. And then once spring training ends again, we're just as, we're just as much important as your early hitting as your bullpens and things like that. Do you feel like that that's been the biggest thing that's changed with your programming is understanding the amount of volume that goes on during a baseball game and then trying to alleviate some of that in the weight room? hundred percent. And again, we have technology now, at least at the major league level that validates it. I mean, these guys through uh, StatCast, we know how fast they run, how many times they run it, how many sprints they make, how fast they're home to first, their time standing on defense. Um, because again, baseball is an action packed. I get it. But, but don't take out the fact that these guys are just standing up on their feet for two and a half hours. Yeah. On cleats. You know that? Uh, yeah. On cleats, on dirt and us, we have synthetic turf. So a lot of that stuff does add up. And again, like we have uh, position breakdowns as far as averages of what they're used to doing running wise and stuff like that. So all that, it's significantly changed in helping us to, again, come into these guys and just have quality talks. Again, the why's. Why, why are we asking you to do this, man? We feel we can push right now. And this is why. 
hey, we need to pull back right now. And this is why. Um, so a lot of that's changed just due to the technology that we've had, that we have now. How are you on-ramping their legs, the position players' legs, as they get closer to spring training? Um, we, we're doing a lot of like speed work out here right now in the off-season because, again, I don't like just running to run, guys. Like, running's an art. It really is. So, again, we even pitchers, I'm, pitchers are supposed to run the most, and they're the most unathletic people generally. So like it's let's teach these guys how to run so they could get the quality that running brings to the body out of it. Um, and then come January, like right now, we're, we're start sprint progressions and stuff. Then when spring training hits, we have a running progression to where we strike. Like we want to make sure everybody's on pace right then and there. So we'll do some striders the first few days and then we do arcs just to get guys turning. Then we progress the arcs into short sprints and goes. So like chopping and going majority of hamstring pulls happen. Not when you're running straight ahead or when you're on a turn, it's when you're stopping and then, Oh, I got to go. And then after we do our stop, go runs, we'll get guys on the bases. And then we start progressing of the bases. And then again, we kind of continue with the bases. I'm big with our position players. We do the bases as much as they can. Um, just because very rarely, does any baseball player run more than 30 yards straight ahead? Your outfielder catching a ball in the gap, everything else is short bursts, 10 to 15 yards. So we really don't need to run those guys straight ahead a lot. You know, we need to teach them how to turn. We need to teach them how to round. We need to teach their bodies how to push off the bag. So we, we do bases more often than not during their season. I always felt like that the hardest thing to replicate was – not just the throwing piece with the, okay, in any given game, it might be nine innings, it might be more, where they're going to get their arms up in between innings, same thing, or they may not run or sprint for a while. Is there any way to kind of help getting back into that piece where we might have one sprint, then we may not, we may not have to sprint for another 40 minutes. Is there a way to replicate that at all? You know, there's really not. In a safe, in a safe, in a safe fashion. No, I mean, there's really not. All, not. At, at the that's major a, league, that's a tough one because we would no. have them. You know, we we would have three stations basically going. We'd have a live hitting group, we'd have a cage group, and we're stuck inside in the Midwest. So, and then we would have a defensive group. So we actually wanted them to get their sprint work in on the defensive side to kind of help get their volume built up, but also get used to being shut down and then having to get their arms and legs back up. For us, game preparation-wise, it's a non-negotiable. Yeah. So, like, that's where our conditioning comes in. We don't get guys on the line and we're like, here, let's run. Yeah. We have guys get it in during batting practice. Like, if you ever go watch Major League or Minor League batting practice, you see guys run the bases. We tell our guys, hey, man, you don't – every time you run, you just want – give us one tour of the bases. Hard to first. Go first to third. Finish home to first. If you do that three times – we hit BP on the field five times a week, at least you're getting 15 sprints to first. In. And then our other thing is it's not negotiable is pregame. It's like you have to run three to five all out sprints pregame. It's not just coming out here, playing catch, doing a couple leg kicks and going. We're really, really. Uh, and again, we tell our guys, you just said it. They might not run a, a hard sprint the entire game. That's okay but we don't want them to have to run a sprint in the seventh inning. And the last time they ran a hard sprint was at three 30 in the afternoon. Yeah, exactly. 
at least if they can run that hard sprint, you know, they run five of them at seven o'clock right after the anthem. We know if they have to run it in the seventh inning, at least they did it an hour and a half ago, two hours ago. So like, those are the big things that we do is making sure that they do a pregame. And then it's like, dude, we don't ask a lot, three hard sprints. And then again, that we tell them, as long as we do that, we don't have to come out and be like, Hey, let's stand on the line. All right, here we go. Thirties. Let's go. Um, they're pros. Yeah, we expect them to do it on their own. And then again, as part of their warm up as well, um, we don't just do it. We do a dynamic, but we'll add skip progressions into their warm ups, run rocket stuff into their warm ups to where they are hitting some technical aspect throughout the course of the season as well. How much going forward and then going backwards? So, like for for sprinting forward, how much are they sprinting backwards or doing anything backwards? Um. Yeah, to be honest, we, it, I'm not opposed to sprinting backwards and I understand and I like the logic behind it. Uh, I kind of dove into it a few years ago and we did it more with our pitchers, but now we kind of just stick straight ahead. A lot of the backward stuff we do is agility work. It'll be like a hard four steps forward, hard four, four back pedals and sprinting out of it, like more multi-directional stuff. Um, but we haven't like elongated back pedals or anything like that. We did do it a few years ago and it, I mean, it helped. Um, Cause I, I always say- think about the plyo throws now, obviously people are doing a lot of reverse yeah. throws. And so I didn't know if it was the same thing with our legs because you know, most injuries are our hamstrings, it's decelerators. If there yeah. was some theory and some practice in there of, of trying to train the decelerators going backwards to help alleviate maybe some hamstring tweaks. Yeah. And again, the science behind it, and I understand the logic behind it. I can't say, you know, we do it a lot, but we do it in small doses as far as it's part of our warm up, not necessarily part of our process of like every Wednesday, we're going to do back backpedal runs. We touch on it, you know, a few times a month, but it's not like a staple in what we do. Uh, but it's the, the logic behind it's there and good. And I mean, it's probably something we should touch a little bit more on, to be honest. I mean, realistically, somebody shuts it down for a week or two. How long should it really take them to get back into the swing of things? I know it's probably the, the longer they're away just, from it. Yeah, from no, from lifting, basically lifting and sprinting. Lifting, sprinting, for me, rule of thumb is a week's completely fine. I mean, you can kind of jump right back into it. Two weeks, it's it's kind of you can almost jump back back right to where you're at, but maybe go back like a week before. So like, let's just say, you know, let's simple model a three week plan. I was going to do five by fives my first week. I was going to do five by fours my next week, five by threes my last week. Let's just say I took two weeks off and I just finished five by threes. When I start back up again, I would probably start at my five by fours. And then if I took three weeks off, I would start back at my five by fives. Then if I took like a month off, I would probably not want to start with strength right away. I'd probably want to do more GPP stuff first. And again, a lot of that's very dependent on your training age. Guys who train a lot and sprint a lot, they can take more time off and not have bad impacts. If your um, your training age isn't as old and you're newer to training, the more time you take off, the more you need to build back up. I mean, what, what are some good GPP things just getting back into it or somebody that maybe wants to test their general fitness to see if I'm, I'm to that point where I can maybe start sprinting? Uh, 
to start like sprinting as in like, yeah like a build up to it say i've been off for a while where's a good place to kind of start to get built back, built back into it for me i i think a good gpp is i, I would say a week of at least a week of GPP and then start integrating light plyos in probably that second or third week. And then as long as you're comfortable with like light plyometrics, some box jumps, broad jumps, things like that, you should be able to run. And when I mean run, I mean getting up to 80% max speed, not being like, oh, okay, I've worked out for two weeks. Now I can go and do the combine and run a 40. Um, you know, and then from there, once you build your running up, start, you know, 70% and then end at 80%. And then again, that next week starts slowly jumping up and progressing again. Like we've been working guys out since the end of October here, and we're barely getting our guys up to the curve woodway today. So you're talking a month and a half of, Hey, let's go, let's grind. So I mean, these are elite level athletes who are in moderate, you know, pretty good shape. Do you feel like the human brain and body's evolved over time? Yes. I do too. I, Slow. I, it's hard to see any of those genetic variations, but I, I do feel like we, we have them. So, yeah, so do I. Again, you think of, you know, you go back, how, whatever you believe, you believe in evolution and stuff like that. But, I mean, we do the same things. We just do them so much better. It's that you can say the same thing in baseball. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing against what's happened in the past but the stuff that these guys do out here daily and you look at numbers and you talk numbers like babe ruth was tremendous he's not shohei otane who's throwing 100 miles per hour and hitting balls 500 feet like he's not like what these guys do is absolutely incredible and like sometimes and that's the thing that we have to sell to front offices everybody always asks us why are injuries up we feed these guys better um we have more people in place for um uh, we have more coaches now than ever you get what i mean they make more now than ever why do they still get hurt because they're better if you're gonna throw a hundred like think of the torque and the forces that that puts on the body look at aaron judge and stan how big those guys are like the body's not supposed to move like that that fast in those motions with those angles so it's like the happy medium of the trade-off is we want to see these monsters playing this game to where unfortunately things are going to happen we don't want them to and it's our job and again for me it's like mitigate the risk one two and second um enhance the recovery time by their training so we want to train these guys get them as physically prepared and strong as possible so if, if they tweak a hammy it's two to four weeks not six to eight weeks you get what i mean like that's the way i look at things stuff's gonna happen what can we do to, if something does happen, have that return to play um, be shorter? You know, how, how can we develop these guys and strengthen these guys to reduce IL days, stuff like that? And a lot of that's still a recovery thing post activity, correct? Absolutely. Again, post act, post activity nowadays. Um, one, it's nutrition. We focus on what these guys get in their bodies after the game, how they hydrate after the games. Um, Again, you want to have a pop, have a pop, but you need to have at least three or four glasses of water before you go too, right? And then you got to have at least another three or four bottles on your way into the stadium. Um, here, again, we're fortunate. We have the Taj Mahal of baseball facilities right now. They, the owners, Ray and Neil, they did a tremendous job. 
We have a cryo chamber here on site, red light therapy bed here on site. We have a Normatec room here. Um, you know, we have specialists come in. We have two massage therapists on staff. We have four athletic trainers. So the recovery aspect for us is huge. But again, it goes beyond modalities and therapy. A lot of this, we tell these guys, you nailed it. Your sleep is vital. And so we have to hammer that to these guys. And that's their responsibility. And um, again, our players, for the most part, these guys, they're sitting on lottery tickets. So they take it serious nowadays. Look at the money that's getting thrown out. These guys want part of it. So they take it. They do take it serious. I mean, our big name guys, they grab waters walking out of the stadiums. They come and do post post game stretches after the game. Um, they get here early to do red light bed. Um, How often are they using the UV sauna and then the then the cryo chamber? varies upon guy i will say the red lights kind of the thing now guys use i really that. like it I, if I anybody it. hasn't used one i would jump in there i've done it twice and i, I yeah i love it our we only have one and so obviously like anything when you have 25 guys our younger guys get here really early it's funny you look and you're like it's noon it's like dude what are you doing here it's like and then you see him walk to the recovery room and it's like ah yeah, I would get in there before our big boys get here too, yeah. you know, because again, everybody uses it. But I, I would say on average during the season, guys, guys who do use it, which isn't 100% of our guys, but I would say it's more than 50% of our guys use it at least three times a week when we're at home. And then they'll do cryo about once. Um, cryo or we have hot tub, cold tubs too. So again, cryo was a big thing, but now hot tub cold tub everybody kind of just goes back to they're like man i don't want to have to go set it up have somebody do it for me i'll just sit in the cold tub for nine minutes and i'll be good it's like okay because that's part of it too from an implementation standpoint if you can make it easier the players are going to gravitate to to what maybe takes a little bit less time than the other piece no doubt no doubt so and then again our cryo chambers across the hall so it's not like it's a hassle but we have to have someone with them ask to where sometimes again the guys just want to have ball talk and they'll just go sit in the cold tub at the end of the game and talk about whatever's happening and do that but you the post the, the again the understanding of what these guys know now it's so different than when i first started because even when i first started guys were going to spring training to get in shape if you go to spring training to get in shape now you don't have a job nope. so you might as well just not even show up um, and then again, even colleges, I mean, I went to a little division two, love CSU Pueblo with all my heart. We didn't have anything at CSU Pueblo then that I did now. Like now it's completely different. I mean, they have a multi-million dollar weight room. They have two strength coaches. We didn't have any of that. One of our grad assistants, Brian Osanovich, who was an ex player, took us through our stuff. Um, so kids are coming in with a lot higher training level. I mean, I was fortunate when I was with the Rockies, I worked in Denver at a private sector. I mean, high school kids are now paying for training. So um, if you're not doing it, you're kind of putting yourself behind the eight ball. Talk about kind of what you're doing with the Professional uh, Baseball Strength and Con Conditioning Coaches Association and then kind of how that's marrying a little bit with what the NSCA is doing. So the PBSCCS um, was started a long time ago. At pretty much the PBATs, the athletic trainers, had their kind of own association to where they would get together. And again, the best way to learn is from each other. So about 20 years ago, strength and conditioning coaches didn't have a seat at the table. They started going to winter meetings. About five guys started it. Then it started to grow to major league guys. Then you had your major league guys and your coordinators going. Now we have major league guys all the way down to minor league strength coaches who are part of our foundation. 
to where we have a website, the pbsccs.com website, to where, again, there's educational stuff on there for videos, um, for athletes of how pros train pros. Also um, on there is a job board for people who are interested of um, wanting to get into, you know, professional strength and conditioning, um, things like that. And we're trying to couple that now with ABCA and with even the collegiate level. Um, we don't know everything. However, we do have a lot of experience to where, like I told you, we're trying to filter some things for the betterment of our youth and for the betterment of the game and for the betterment of parents. There's a lot of great parents out who want to help their kids who are doing research online. And some of the stuff they see online can be detrimental. So one of our big goals at winter meetings this year, the PBS CCS was we need to do a better job as professional baseball strength and conditioning coaches to set the tone to do little things. It doesn't have to be in-depth training protocols as far as sets and reps, timing, VBT, force play, how to properly do shoulder programs. Again, at what age should kids start to load weight, like lift weight, you know, uh, what middle school-wise, adolescence, training age stuff. Um, so we, we want to kind of get out ahead of the curve and help parents, help high school coaches, um, learn just general adaptation for their kids. Um, so we, we're like, our goal is to couple with that as well as to continue learning from, again, the Eric Cressys of the world, um, the, some of the collegiate coaches of the world and just share knowledge. Because again, it's turning into the wild, wild west to where we need to hone it in to where there's some credibility behind some of this stuff people are trying with their kids to number one, protect kids. I mean, I, Baseball is a terrific game and a great game. And it's horrible when you see a 13 year old who has a UCL tear, you know, um, and, and we want to kind of lead the way to start preventing some of those things. Yep. Heck yeah. And that's, that's been our biggest thing too with, with us is trying to help the people that are initially trying to do this for the first time and be a, you know, a safe space for them to get information. Yeah. And I, you know, I think all the cool thing is I think all of our organizations now are kind of moving in that direction to try to help as, as best we can. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I don't want to knock and I'm not trying to talk bad about gurus and stuff, but everybody, everybody has to make a dollar. Okay. And sometimes again, we go down those rabbit holes and there's a lot of good knowledge behind what some of these guys are saying. However, they, how they make money is how can I be different? And sometimes that different is dangerous. And so again, it's okay to be different and to, again, add things in, but how can we properly do it with little Johnny who's in Iowa in the Hayfield too, whose dad's looking on the internet. You get what I mean? Yes. He probably shouldn't be doing that the same as the 16 year old kid who's in a big city, who's been training for three years, four years. So Again, we want to, like you said, create a safe space of where you know this is what an elite athletes do. And to be honest with you, people are going to be surprised at how vanilla we are. <laughs> the meat and potatoes is the meat and potatoes. Yeah. Our job, I'll just say it with the organizations, I, two of my best friends still are with the Rockies and one's with the Angels. My job isn't to do anything different than them because we do the same lifts. My job is to coach it better than them. Are we just going to allow our guys to squat and not watch them and put a protocol or no? Are we going to teach them where to where to fill the lift, how to do it? 
So again, it's we all do the same thing in pro ball. How are we cueing it? How are like that's how we get our edge. It's not the lifting protocol. Those are just pieces of paper. That's how are we implementing it? How, how are we programming it? And how are we coaching it? But we all do similar to the same stuff. Do you have a fail forward moment? Do you have something you thought was going to sidetrack you, but looking back now is one of the best things that happened to you? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I will say getting fired from Anaheim. I mean, in professional sports and in collegiate sports, any sports, I mean, they tell you if you, if you're a coach and you haven't been fired yet, just wait because you will be. And again, you know, I thought everything uh, there was going very well. We had a lot of success from the medical side of stuff while we were there. Um, unfortunately, we had a regime change. Uh, Jerry DePoto. Which happens a lot in Pro Bowl. Yeah. They left to Seattle. Billy Epler actually at the time went to left the Yankees and went in. And we spent a year um, with him and his new regime. And again, good for them. I don't hold it against them. You want your people. Like, you know, when you get a job, if you want your people, you want everybody has that right. And that was kind of my fail forward moment. Because again, in pro sports and coaching in general, you don't have to do anything wrong to get let go. Um, And it's all how you handle it. It's all... Again, you get better, you get better. I never ask why now when somebody's like, well, I, I, my contract didn't get renewed. Like I never, because it's just part of part of what it is. Yeah. It's, yeah, unfortunately it is. Again, you see a lot of good guys yearly and you're like, wow, you know, I never saw it coming. And uh, yeah, I, did, I decided not to get bitter, to get better. Um, I actually debated leaving pro ball at that time. I'd been in it 10 years and it's hard. I mean, it's a one percenter job for sure. Again, you're one of what? total maybe 300 strength coaches in the world with in pro ball but it's again i've watched my nephew play soccer 10 times and he's going to be a senior in high school um you know my kids my family i've been to two of his three of his birthdays he's 16 so i thought about getting out of it and i fortunately for me i stayed in i've made good relationships along the way um while i was coaching and i knew nappy very well pachardo and i knew hosey very well over here and they took a risk on me went back to a ball Went from being a coordinator and leading a department to going to Kinston, North Carolina, out next to where you are, and spent a year out there. And again, it's worked out. So, what did you tighten up from from maybe what you weren't doing? What What did you clean up then to help you with the next one? For me, I didn't. Again, I learn and I critique myself all the time. So I'm I'm always tightening things up, whether it be from communication aspect of things to handling players, communicating with staff. The biggest thing for me was when I was in Colorado and even my first two years in um, with the Angels, I had always just been a coach, a minor league coach, a strength and conditioning coach. So the only guy I had to answer to was my coordinator. He was my boss. And then again, he has a whole other line of people. So my last three years in Anaheim, I learned I was a coordinator. And so that was an awesome experience of then you get to see the business side of the game. Like a lot of the questions that I had as a coach of why aren't we doing this? Why is this going on? Why is this guy getting called up? What's going on here? Like, why don't we have more money for this? Um, you learn. I learned as a coordinator. It's not because we're not asking. It's just because sometimes they're just not going to give it or there's always a reason behind the moves that are made. So I guess when I came to Texas, I, I combined both of those two. And I said, dude, just worry about being a coach. And I was happy. I was like, dude, I'm so glad I'm not a coordinator right now. Have fun going and sitting in the meetings. I was leaving spring training at like three three o'clock while they're going in to talk about 300 players. I'm like, see you, dude. Have fun. Don't miss that. Um, So it allowed me the ability just to 
learn what's important, know where you're at in your pecking order and just focus on that and be as good as you can possibly be at it. Because again, we all have our piece in the puzzle, right? And it's just the same thing with me with our head guy now, Jose. I'm not the head guy. My job's not to be the head guy. My job's not to have the conversations with the front office. Depending on the player, sometimes it's not even my place to have a conversation with that player. What my job is to be is the boots on the ground when he's taking care of that stuff. When he's at a meeting, if he can't be here, my job's to be here. So again, the, the whole culmination of my career after I got let go, it helped me focus on just be where you're at. Know what your job is, know what your description is, and be the best at it. And as long as you do that, opportunity will present itself. When are you getting your your routines and your workouts in? And is it morning? Is it evening? How are you staying on top of your stuff? I'm a morning guy. I've I've always been a morning guy. I've never been a night owl. So spring training, yeah, they're long days, but I just it wakes me up. I make a cup of coffee, I drive into the stadium and I do my workout in before guys get here. I give myself about 30 minutes in between, 40 minutes so I could shower, get on my computer, anything I need to do, um, and then have guys go. But I, I'm a big... Are you pretty similar what you're doing in the mornings? Do you switch it up or is it... I always try to take myself through their lifts and I'll always be three weeks ahead of them. I always try to be three weeks ahead just in case I see something or I'm like, oh, this doesn't... Okay, I don't like this. I can change it. Love it. Um so that's kind of where I'm at. I love that. What podcasts and books do you, do you dive into? I, I'm, I'm into everything podcast-wise. Um, heck, I again, I like a lot of Cressy stuff. Uh, I like a lot of Mike Reinold stuff. I listen to our, we have a really, really good one, a PBS CCS one. Uh, Chris Messina is tremendous. He's been doing it now for like four years. He gets a lot of professional. What's the name of the professional strength coaches one? I believe it's just the PBS CCS podcast. And uh, it it has tales of everything. He has everybody from rookie ball guys to Dominican strength coaches to major league strength coaches. And then he even breaks down like I've done a few. One where we go over FRC. So if people don't know what FRC is, you can learn what that is. Um, It goes on. I've also been on one my first year in the major leagues. There was four of us on. So you could kind of hear from the strength and conditioning side what we felt was important, what we went through. He does an awesome job with that. So I like listening to that one because I like listening to my counterparts and again, young minor league guys and stuff like that, too. You can learn from everybody. Um, How different is it going to the big the big league side? Significantly different. It's uh, the, the major leagues is not real life. It's fantasy land. It really is. You do your job and your job only. I mean, we're spoiled as can be. You're on a charter plane. You're staying in five-star hotels. The stadiums are terrific. The food's terrific. It's not real life. Um, that's why you always have to humble yourself and you always have to remember what it was. But the other thing with that comes significant amount of um, responsibility. I don't like the word pressure, but everything's magnified in the major leagues. I don't mean to sound rude, but if Tommy gets hurt in a ball, it's okay. It's if, not in the paper. If one of our big guys or gets on hurt ESPN, misses, yes, significant misses significant. It's a big deal. And again, yeah, first takes not talking here, about it if it's a a rookie ball player. No, and it's all about winning up here. So if you're not winning, it's a lot different. It's not about developing. You could be losing games in the minor leagues, but everybody's getting better and it's okay. 
losing is not okay up here. So again, with those perks of the job also comes the perks of responsibility. Everybody's more responsible to uh, be on top of their game every day and do what you're supposed to do every day. So what are some final thoughts or something I should have asked you that I didn't? Um, you covered it all. This was awesome. I've done, I've only done a few of these five or six and this was outstanding. Again, I can't thank you enough. Um, I think we touched on everything we spoke about one or two. And again, moving forward myself, anybody in pro ball, reach out to us. We want to help. We're here to help. Like we love helping these guys. At the end of the day, if you're a strength coach, you don't do it for the money. We do it because we're teachers and might not be able to teach math and science and geology, but we love teaching people about the human body. Where's the best place to reach you if they want to reach uh, out? I mean, Twitter, Instagram. Um, those are kind of my two. I don't really. I, LinkedIn. Works. LinkedIn, yes. LinkedIn's all that. Uh, my Facebook and Instagram's more personal. I don't post a lot of professional stuff, but if people reach out to me, I always try to make sure I do get back to them. Twitter and LinkedIn professionally is the best for me. Um to connect with people. Again, I like to connect with people. And if there's people in your area that you can also connect with, again, I can help you that way as well. Like I said, we have the right people uh, all over the different pockets of the baseball industry now that are willing to help. Like the, the game's in a great place. It's going to be in a great place five years from now because of the people that we have running things now. It's going to be in a better place 10 years. So I'm excited for the baseball industry right now because we do have the right people in all pockets of it. They're trying to push this thing forward in a good way. I, I couldn't agree more. And again, I, I'm always, let's be part of the, the solutions and not the problems. So, and again, I know speaking for myself and I was just there out in San Diego three weeks ago and our whole organization is all in on that as well. Yeah. Yep. I appreciate it, Al. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. I greatly, greatly appreciate you having me. I love where we're at in the baseball community with the amount of people all over the industry willing to collaborate and share. It's a great time to be a coach or player with the amount of information being shared over every level of baseball. Thanks again to Jim Richardson, John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt Weston, ABC Office, for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, coachb underscore abca, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you.